Hello, my name is Mark Iskowitz. I'm editor-at-large for MMM, and I'm super excited to be part of today's sponsored podcast with IPG Health. Here with me today are IPG Health's Chief Strategy Officer, Julie P. Lohan. When we're really, truly inclusive, it creates more seats around the table. It creates a bigger table. And Global Chief Medical Officer, Summer Bazuro. There are always a mix of people and opinions and viewpoints and backgrounds and ages, every metric coming to the table during the strategic and creative process. To talk about the creative process behind inclusive experiences for customers and brands. These days, when agencies bring ideas for inclusive campaigns to creative pitches, clients sit up and listen. Biopharma marketing plans often include an ambitious health equity component. Indeed, the need for diverse and inclusive marketing has become a major talking point in health advertising. But how do you actually do it? Julian Summer, both of whom are extremely well-versed in multicultural marketing, will discuss how it all starts at the foundational strategy phase with the very first creative brief. They'll dig into how effectively centering DEI across the entire strategic process yields powerfully inclusive and impactful creative solutions, which manifest in an authentic way. They'll also discuss IPG Health's own homegrown approach, known as inclusive quotient all in queue, and how to leverage it to deliver inclusive experiences that drive behavioral change for good and for all. Hello, Summer and Julie. Great to have you both here. Great to be here. Great to be here. Absolutely. I just wanted to start by asking you, what's the state of the state in terms of culturally sensitive marketing in healthcare? Are marketers thinking early enough about how to include communities of color in their plans? Well, you know, it's interesting. We are making progress uh, in healthcare and um, we are in a state where we're marketing therapeutics and devices, right, in support of improving and saving lives. So we're in a very regulated st- space, and rightly so. Our claims that we make in our marketing process are based on clinical data. But the studies designed to gather that data may have been conducted years prior and or with different objectives in mind and by different teams than the teams who are ultimately responsible for marketing the product. So everyone has the best intentions but different objectives. So you end up in a situation where you want to market to culturally diverse populations, but they were not included in your study. You can still do that, of course, and you should do that, but now it's gonna require potential escalation of the review process and conversations with regulators. And of course, you wanna make sure that when you are given diverse data, um, that you're leveraging that data in the best possible way and you're marketing to a diverse population. Ultimately, we want to get to a place where all of the teams involved in the clinical development process from bench to bedside are truly thinking about inclusion and are being inclusive. Mm-hmm. I love your last phrase there, Summer, you know, to ensure actually that we do have inclusion through our brand development process, we really need to think about frameworks, frameworks that are grounded in proof, frameworks that are actually bought through the organization, frameworks that are initiated early and throughout the brand development process to ensure that we properly include people of color and beyond. You know, we need to bridge that gap. We need to bridge that gap between clinical development and marketing. And this point, this data point actually should tell you why we should all do better. In 2020, Facebook did an online survey to actually uh, figure out if people felt represented with online advertising. And the results of the survey 
54% of audiences say they do not feel fully culturally represented in online advertising. So hopefully since 2020, we've kind of moved the needle a little bit, but we need to really move, continue to move that needle for inclusion. And that study was specifically in healthcare advertising, whether people feel represented. No, it was all online advertising. All all online advertising. Okay, got it, got it. Very interesting. And it sounds like, uh, Summer, to your point, um, if the clinical data are not there, you know, if if the representative, if the samples uh, in the cohort was not representative, it doesn't necessarily preclude a health equity strategy, but it makes it more difficult, more complicated uh, for you, for you marketers. Yes, yes, it does. Now, um, just a follow-up question there. Has... um, the clinical trial recruitment policies, are, are those changing? You know, when we, uh, when you talk to, say, like R&D consultants of the PWCs, the Deloitte's, are they going to the co- contract research organizations, the Paracels of the world, the quintiles of the world, the IQVIAs, and saying, hey, people, we need to make sure that the policies for recruitment are changing? Or are they the same? Those, or are we still saddled by those same old, you know, recruitment policies in clinical trials? I would say everyone is very in tune to the fact that our policies need to change. Certainly our clients very much are and are being proactive about it. Um, and regulators have started giving out guidance to that effect to help um, pharmaceutical companies best uh, recruit and enroll patients of diverse populations. And there are a lot of factors towards that diversity. There's certainly race and ethnicity, but there's age, there's location, there's patients with different comorbidities that they may be dealing with who often get excluded from clinical trials. So I would say, yes, everyone is very much aware and thinking about how might they change their processes and their business model to be more inclusive. Okay, great. So I know that IPG Health also has its own proprietary first in industry inclusive quotient strategy called All in Q. Can you tell me about that? Well, EDI is front and center in everything that we do at IPG Health. Like, you know, it's pulled through our culture, our people, our impact. All in Q is really our quotient, our framework, our inclusive quotient that is pulled through our work, our strategic process and creative. All in Q is a nod to IQ, EQ, and now an inclusive quotient that should be part of everything that we do. It is, its foundation is actually from um, the determinants of health from the WHO uh, organization and that we adapted uh, and dimensionalized um, to include other aspects of individuals and their contacts, resulting in nine determinants of health that we have actually powered within a framework and that we actually look at and measure as we go through our entire strategic development process. So what we love about All in Q is that it's highly scalable. So everyone can use it uh, and we can use it on every piece of work that we do. So it is powered by uh, rich data sources and algorithm that really helps us not only like, you know, identify insights on audiences that we think should be really included within the work that we do, but really understand how people see themselves, right? So we can actually, in return, create work that actually include more people and 
make people feel not only like they can lean in, but that they can belong. Right. That's a very important point. Your last one there, Julie, in terms of, you know, the work has to come across as authentic. You know, people need to see themselves represented uh, in the work. Tell me, what are the ingredients to creating culturally sensitive marketing on a consistent basis in healthcare and, and what's missing? So to talk about the ingredients first, Mark, Julie mentioned um, our quotient within IPG Health. During our strategic and creative process at IPG Health, we begin by immersing ourselves and generating insights into the disease state. And we focus on who makes up the population for that disease and that treatment, who's going to need it. We analyze this information against determinants of health, such as community and engagement, the infrastructure and capacity that's there. We think about partnership and collaboration. The strategy teams within our network are vigilant when it comes to incorporating EZ&I in this entire strategic and creative development process. Mm -hmm. So in addition to this, when we think about ingredients, we know that social scientists agree that human action and identity are deeply linked with where people are, who and what they're surrounded with and the social norms that are created around those contexts. So if we leaning into that construct, we felt that we needed to actually expand the traditional determinants of health to include a few more, such as what is the role of identity? What is the role of genetic predisposition? So we can actually be more inclusive. Um, so that's, that's one, really casting the net a little wider on the social determinants of health. The other part of this is you need an institutionalized process, meaning a process, an inclusive process that is part of the fabric. And at IPG Health, again, that has been a key success factor. And not only a process that is part of the fabric, but a process that everyone can do and everyone feel responsible to be doing. And you know, making this not a one-time thing. It is not a box that we check. It is something that is ongoing. And frankly, our clients are demanding this. Our clients want more inclusive teams. They want us to come in with inclusive framework and they're putting us to the test and we need to deliver as we should. So um, I think we got to giddy up and continue to get this much better. (laughs) Do you see that more as uh, being built into the RFP process uh, or is it just kind of like a, an unstated rule requirement now? Actually, um, for us, we've always built it into our response because we, again, we think it's hugely important, but we do see RFPs that are solely about that process. And we see also uh, th- this process being required to respond to an RFP. So yes, all of the above. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the difference between representation versus real inclusion and how that manifests in in marketing? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, representation is really about the makeup of an entity or group, right? So showing different groups of people in a campaign, for example, right? Representation has been a really good step for us in marketing. It makes people sit up, take notice, and lean in. However, inclusion is more about how well the contrib- the contributions, the presence, and the perspectives 
of different groups of people are valued and integrated into the actual work environment that's creating the campaign, right? Inclusion brings us a step closer to having people see themselves in the work that we create. And that makes them more invested and more in love with brands because they're understood at a far deeper level than us, you know, just making sure we check boxes and include different subcategories of people. But when we're really truly inclusive, it creates more seats around the table. It creates a bigger table for us to promote fuller, deeper engagement and authentic interactions with people. And I think that that is like, you know, crucial. No one left behind. Everyone has this right. Mm -hmm. We need to do the right thing by them. Sure, sure. Doing right by your audiences. I'm sure, you know, you both have had these conversations. I've had conversations when I've talked to agencies about representation versus inclusion. I would say representation, probably the easiest example I can think of is, okay, let's just have some stock photos of, you know, representing people of color. Obviously that's not going to cut it. Um, Can you give some examples where you saw real inclusion or just, or, or, you know, a a prototype in in theory, what what would be an example there of, of real authentic inclusion? Not to put you on the spot, but it's hard to put people, you know, it's it's actually um, I, I think what we can say is there are much more great example of inclusion. I think it's it's putting us a little bit on the spot to start saying who's doing it, and who's doing not doing it. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I didn't but mean to put you on the spot there. Yeah, I would say that, you know. What, what we're doing at IPG Health is um, we're bringing a mix of human beings to the table who are creating these campaigns in an authentic work. We're not just bringing a mix of humans when the client asks for ED&I or when we think the, the, that's the makeup and the fabric of our network. There are always a mix of people and opinions and viewpoints and backgrounds and ages, every mm-hmm. metric coming to the table during the strategic and creative process. So we are always making sure that, you know, we're bringing all those perspectives when we're creating for our clients. So that's the difference between just, oh, we're doing a campaign, now let's stick some stock photos in here versus we are bringing diverse perspectives to solve our clients' challenges, which is what they truly want. And that's the difference between inclusion versus checking a box with representation at the end. Right. That makes total sense. And we're measuring it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and with our inclusive caution, we have the opportunity to measure it, right? We have benchmarks and now mm-hmm. we can actually, with the work that we create, taking in consideration, again, that inclusive caution, in the creative brief, in the execution, in the personas, in the journeys that we're creating, we can actually measure how we're moving the needle, which is hugely important. Great. And just to, you know, hover over that last point for a second with the measurement is one of the criteria that you ask people, do you feel represented by this work? Is that what you mean by measurement or is it some other metric? Well, there's many other metrics. It's a little bit of our secret recipe, but absolutely. Do you feel like you mm-hmm. actually see yourself in the work that we are creating here? Absolutely. Because again, sure. we're going from leaning in to belonging. And if people don't see themselves, how can they feel like they're belonging to what we are putting in front of them? Mm-hmm. And, and they're not going to want to take action. They're going to 
Passively, um, ignore it or, or what have you, a uh, hundred other reasons, you know, for, for health inertia and summer to your point, it's, it's ground whenever it's grounded, you know, in, you know, people with real lived experiences coming to the table, it's, it's going to be always, uh, you know, a hundred percent better than if not informed, uh, by such uh, people. A nice segue to the next question in terms of you know, whether you see less stereotypes in, in health advertising. Uh, I'm not going to venture some examples there, but you can, you know, fill in the blank. What, how, how would you address that question? I actually think that stereotypes, it's often an, an attempt to connect quickly with an audience, but it's super outdated. It's subject to major flaws and it will most likely always backfire on you. So we don't seem to lean in as much on stereotypes in healthcare because we're not really using or leaning in into like the cultural construct. However, stereotypes affect people in their interaction with healthcare. It affects people in their interactions with their healthcare professional, and it affects people in their interaction with content. So we should all be very aware of what those stereotypes are and stay away from this. Frankly, we're in a world of data, Mm -hmm. And we're in a world where people are demanding personalization. So, you know, I mean, stereotypes have absolutely no place in any types of advertising. And at the end of the day, our job is to make sure that we're personalized. And again, connecting with an audience at an authentic level. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I've heard stereotypes mentioned, you know, in the context of, you know, I was covering a campaign last year in health that was featured stereotypes and it was, it came out of a multicultural agency. So people were surprised, but what I thought was the interesting point there was there was a danger that agencies that were not multicultural agencies specifically could see that and say, Oh, we have license to do that. Now we'll just pick up on the stereotype, which kind of, you know, move the industry backwards a little bit. Um, so point well taken Julie on that. Yeah. Yeah. To what extent are uh, marketers limited by racial disparities in, in clinical trials? I want to talk. I wanted to talk about that. Summer, you mentioned that at the top of the discussion that um, it doesn't necessarily preclude uh, a brand from having a health equity component, uh, but it makes it more complicated. But you know, this this is a reality. You know, until the clinical trials catch up with the need to market in, in a more inclusive way. This is what marketers are going to be saddled by. So can you just kind of talk about that for a moment? Sure. So, yeah, as we were all discussing in the beginning, you know, in healthcare, we're held to clinical data, right? And that could be generated, you know, years, months before we start marketing a brand. So, for example, if your patient population does not contain pediatric patients, you're not going to be able to market to that population, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Regulatory agencies will prevent you from doing that. It gets more nuanced when you're talking about race. Um, First of all, most trials don't even record race. So, you know, there's challenge number one. In a 2022 study published in the Lancet Regional Health Americas, uh, Brandon Turner and his colleagues analyzed over 20,000 U.S.-based trials uh, that had reported results. And that represented about 4.7 million uh, trial enrollees. And out of all of those people, only 43% of those trials reported any race or ethnicity data. So we're starting from a place where most trials aren't even reporting it. They may or may not have had it, right? So... Despite those numbers, it's still not impossible 
when you want to make marketing materials to include diverse ethnic groups uh, based on race, marketing teams can still get beyond this and promote to diverse groups. Um, but again, it will require some escalation, some discussion, um, and it will require you to have an inclusive development and engagement strategy and figure out how you might get around this. So it's not a stopgap, but it certainly is an ongoing mm. problem that we need to solve for. Yeah. Interesting. And um, the natural follow-up is that, you know, what, what do you advise clients in that regard? You know, if, if they're, if they find themselves in that situation, you're saying it's not a stopgap. Um, there are ways to get around that. You know, what, what's some general advice there? Yeah, we, we do advise clients to do that. And uh, they do do that. And they do, you know, go back to the demographic data of the disease. And, and it's, it's a, scientific responsibility to reach out to the people who are affected by that disease state and make sure that they are aware of the treatment and physicians know that there's a new treatment for them. So I'm happy to say that clients definitely do go all in into making sure that they can market to the appropriate populations. Because again, that marketing team may have been served up data uh, from a team that had a different objective. And that earlier team may have had completely different objectives too. None of this is done with intent. We need to get to a place where we're all working on the same page. Mm -hmm. What I would add to this, Summer, is that like, you know, this is where frameworks like All in Q are super important and to implement them early, right? And get them rolling through the entire process because this is really where we can find you know, big thinking, big opportunities on the audiences that we need to include. Sure. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that social determinants of health provide kind of a roadmap for your whole process. And of course, you build on that with with some other uh, facets, you know, like genetic predisposition, uh, which I think is fascinating. But given that SDOH are core to improving health in America, how can marketers ensure that their campaigns, quote unquote, think about all of those factors of health. Can you give some kind of general advice there? Well, so first of all, there's a DOH, but as you just mentioned, Mark, it's the framework into which those DOH are placed into and how we are looking at those DOH as basically inclusive or exclusive, right? And really kind of developing, okay, what do we need to do to actually be much more inclusive in the population? Those framework have to be scalable, and people have to bought into them and they need to be embodied into or embedded into the the brand development process. If we look at the goal of understanding the multiple determinants of health and their influence on this impact of inclusion and exclusion, then we can only prioritize from there because we're never going to be able to address all the determinants of health for all of the populations that we have um, Identified And prioritization is definitely something for us that is really, really important. Um, so we can actually, from there, again, really look at where are all the opportunities? What are the big thinking that we can bring to the forefront? And how can we actually have people see themselves in the work that we create? And lastly, we need to measure, right? So it's not... It's one thing to, again, think about the determinants of health, have a great framework that we, you know, is the base for 
our creative work, and that is really the base to inclusion. But how do we measure? What is it that we're measuring? For us in All in Q, it's our inclusive quotient that we're measuring, um, and then learn from it, and then do better next time. So I think this is really never finished. It's always ongoing, but it's definitely the right thing to do. Absolutely. And um, that sounds like the bottom line. You know, as you said earlier, people need to see themselves represented in the work. It's got to be measured as such. You know, we talked about the need to incorporate health equity into marketing, uh, despite the fact that we still have a problem with racial disparities in clinical trials and using social determinants of health as a roadmap to kind of get their framework. What's the bottom line, Julia? You want to uh, kind of just sum things up one more time? We need to continue to do the right thing for our, the people, for our clients, and for marketing in healthcare. Um, people deserve to actually have a state of health that is advanced. And that is for good and it is for all. That is how I would conclude. Great. Couldn't have said it better myself. Summer, I think we may have started with you, but I'll give you the last word here as well. Uh, any parting thoughts on what we've discussed today? Thanks, Mark. So I think it's our sincerest wish at IPG Health that as we discussed in the beginning, there is more discussion amongst internal teams throughout the clinical development process. So there's less of a disconnect. There's less of a challenge when we need to consider um, inclusion in our marketing, that the right data is collected from the beginning and that marketing teams can leverage that data in the appropriate manner. And it's not an uphill challenging battle. That would be my sincerest wish for the process. Absolutely. It shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be a forethought. Okay, great. That was Julie Pilon and Summer Bazuro, and it was a terrific conversation. Many thanks for listening. Come back soon for another one. This is Mark Iskowitz for the MMNM Podcast. Take care.